welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Bridgerton on Netflix. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Julian Davis. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another very exciting episode of The Pemberley Podcast. Before we dive into the very action-packed episode, that is episode three, we wanted to tell you a little bit about what we've been watching, a little bit about what we've been reading. Yolanda, why don't you go first? Because you've got a really interesting show that you want to talk about. Yeah, so I have been seeing so many billboards for this show around town, so that maybe that's why I was influenced to watch it. <laughs> you are influenceable. Um, yes, um, but I've been watching Upload on Amazon which is a very interesting concept and show from Greg Daniels. It's very, it's not a romance. It's there's a, there is a romance in it, but it's more like sci-fi comedy and that sort of thing. Premise is a little odd to get into, but then once you kind of get into it and you get past it, you're like, okay, I'm invested in these characters. It's set in the future. And imagine if like, instead of people dying, essentially they're, they, people have the option to download their memories and be uploaded into this virtual heaven cloud type of thing where they can, their consciousness can really just live forever. And you still have all your earth memories. This character, he now has... He was like in a car crash, which is actually unheard of because they're all self-driving cars. And so that is very suspicious of like, how did his car crash? And he is in the hospital. He has this major decision of like, do you try to live and potentially die forever? Or do you get uploaded? And so his girlfriend is there and she kind of pushes him and like, you have to upload. So he gets uploaded. And that's like now his journey of being in this world and navigating. He's still young. He's like now dead and having to live forever. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he starts to form a bond with this customer service rep whose name is Nora and she's very nice. So it's a lot of like interesting hijinks of what's going on, but also trying to figure out like what really happened about his car crash and some of his memories are corrupted, which is like also unheard of. Like memories shouldn't be deleted or corrupted. And is it like being uploaded essentially kills your mortal body? Like you can't have your, like you can't be alive and have your thoughts and memories uploaded to the cloud. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You you only exist either in real life or in this cloud or you are dead forever. Greg Daniels is one of the creators of the good place, right? Um, it was Mike Sure. I think Was he, he not part of that? Though? He might have been part of it, yes. Because I'm like, this just screams the good place. Yes. Like, this is like a technological the good place kind yes. of situation. I think my, Mike Schur was the showrunner of the good place. It might have been with Greg Daniels, but then this is fully Greg Daniels. Got so, it, got yes. it. I think if you have Amazon and you need a show to watch on Amazon, check it out. That is a rousing welcome <laughs> yes. and a high praise for yes, the show. Yes, if you yes. have Amazon, check it out. Yes. Um, what are you currently uh, enjoying? Mine is very much a, a capital R romance novel, actually. So I don't know for those of you who are on BookTok or Bookstagram, I'm sure you have seen a very much a best-selling book called It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey. And it is a romance novel that she was inspired to write after watching the show Schitt's Creek. Mm. So she sort of writes this story of these very well-to-do sisters who um, their stepfather is like a big shot Hollywood producer, 
But um, they were actually born in a very small fishing town in Washington. Their father died at sea when they were very young. And so her mother like met this guy. He's their father for all intents and purposes. And they like don't really remember what it was like to be poor. The oldest daughter, after messing up, essentially gets sent to this small fishing town because the only thing she really owns of herself is this bar that her father owned. And she's been sent there to refurbish it to learn about character. So that is It Happened One Summer. And I am reading the sequel, Hook, Line, and Sinker, which is about her younger sister, who also comes from that privilege, but like wants to make it in Hollywood on her own. So she's like a PA. She's like kind of in love with this director that she works for. (laughs) And he's looking to shoot something on location in some place like dreary. And she's like, I've got the place. Hmm. And so she brings this whole filming operation up to Westport, this quaint little fishing village. And even though she's good friends with and is sworn, she's not interested in this very hot second to the captain who's got a reputation as a ladies' man. They do have very good chemistry. And they keep (laughs) bumping into each other in their towels um, all over the... I told you it's a romance novel, Yolanda. I said it. Um, And it actually hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So it is very, it's a very fun read. If you're looking for something to just sort of like skip through and make you happy. There's also a lot of great music references in here because Hannah, the heroine's name, wants to score movies. And so Mm. she's obsessed with albums and music and she's always got headphones in. So it's a very fun read. Speaking of fun reads that are romance novels, I feel like we should dive into episode three of season two of Bridgerton. Yes. Previously on episode two, Anthony is really just trying to woo Edwina and stand out amongst all the other suitors. And he actually does, in his own unique way, really stand out to Edwina and is like, I think she's at least taking him into serious consideration now. And Kate very much still does not want them to be together. She feels like she knows what he's really after and she doesn't want that for her sister, but she can't go against her sister's wishes. Penelope is still trying to maintain her double life of Lady Whistledown and regular life, but she gets discovered by the Modiste. So we are picking up there with episode three. And where we start episode three, I've written in my notes, exterior trauma (laughs) because we are flashing back to 10 years ago when Edmund Bridgerton was alive and he is teaching his eldest 19 year old son Anthony how to hunt Anthony's not good at it Edmund is good at everything he's got this pocket watch he just knows what to do his wife Violet is pregnant with their eighth daughter Hyacinth and life is good and so you know Edmund is talking to Anthony on the walk back into Aubrey Hall boom a bee sting, which he is deathly allergic to, goes into anaphylactic shock. Anthony is watching his father die, calls for help. Before his eyes, just like sinking, just like this rash starts to form and he can't breathe and it's traumatizing. Essentially, like in seconds, his father dies. And the only other person who's there is Violet. Violet runs out to be with her husband who's dying as he's taking his final gasps of air. The rest of the Bridgerton children are just like standing outside watching this happen. They're at a distance. They're at a distance. So like the only ones who are with him are Anthony and Violet. And Violet is inconsolable and she's like i like i have to be with him take care of the others take care of the others and in a second 
Anthony goes from this sort of carefree 19 year old kid who's just starting to like learn about himself and the world. And suddenly he is the Viscount Bridgerton. My Lord, might we begin with the arrangements? The minister will need to be called and the casket, of course, one will need to be built. Forgive me, my Lord, but I have questions about the body. Should I move it from his chambers? There is also the business of the letters. The letters? To give notice of the death. Not just to the other family, but to the village, too. We should send for the doctor. She's still hysterical. The most overwhelming scene, because it's like you still have like this teen who is trying to figure out his way in the world, and suddenly like the house staff are asking him like these very serious questions. Like they have seen him grow up. They know what life stage he's at, but they're treating him like the Viscount he now is, yeah. which is having to deal with like these very serious uh, proceedings of now his father's funeral. So he's like, I have to just process my father's death. And he's getting thrown all these questions. And also all his siblings are there like, what do we do? So he's now thrust into this very overwhelming situation. We're kind of now, again, getting more and more backstory of like, yeah. who is Anthony? What happened to him? Why is he, why he is the way he is? And it's tough. Like he's, he's gone through a lot. His father woke up in that bed this morning and now the room is his. And yeah. like, it's just, and, and Violet is noticeably inconsolable. I mean, she, they were a love match. Um, he was the love of her life. And she still has another child on the way. Yeah. You know, like it's still the cycle of birthing Bridgerton kids. I is know. Not over. <laughs> now we're in present day. The big thing that Anthony is doing now is he has invited the Sharmas out to Aubrey Hall, yeah. which he, they're hosting supposedly like this big event for the rest of the town, but he's invited the Sharmas especially, specifically in advance of all of that. I mean, I think that Anthony is very well aware of Kate's disdain and dislike of him. I think he's really eager. He's He bought her a horse. It didn't matter. He tried poetry. It didn't matter. The only thing that got him someplace was like, being honest and so yeah. he's still trying to throw he's still got a lot of cards to play he's eligible he's got a lot going for him and yeah. so he's just trying to throw like look at what a family man i am welcome to aubrey hall the most gorgeous house in the whole world it's like it reminds me of when elizabeth saw pemberley for the first time mm. when kate sees like the beautiful wisterias growing all over aubrey hall and like she kind of can't help but be impressed with yeah. this estate yeah yeah which Daphne is also there with them and joined to meet Edwina. At first, Anthony is talking to Kate and like they're like very close and talking to each other. And Daphne interrupts like, oh, you must be Edwina. And it's like, no, this is the older sister, Kate. This ignore the other one. Ignore the chemistry happening. <laughs> We're actually here for Edwina. Yeah. Daphne has been married for a little over nine months and suddenly she is a love expert. Yes. <laughs> and she's kind of like, you're talking to Kate. So why are you after Edwina but yeah. it's kind of a fun weekend so they start by playing you know the Bridgertons and the Sharma kids get together to play a rousing game of Pal Mal Pal Mal which is not croquet don't get it twisted it's <laughs> it's played with croquet mallets and balls and those arches but it's not after croquet. two minutes of googling this it is clearly a thing that these two things are not the same it's like there's this whole history of like one was derived from the other but no not really so i don't know the history we're not gonna get into it because maybe people have opinions about it we know people have opinions yes. about it so apologies <laughs> so. if you're like from connecticut um <laughs> but they're playing pow mouths which looks like croquet it's kind of like interesting and sad to realize so the mamas which are lady 
Danbury, Mary, and Violet are all kind of hanging out watching the kids play. And they're all widows. Like, they're all just hanging out by themselves. No one has a husband to hang out with. And it sounds like everyone really liked their husband. Yeah. During the Pall Mall match, I mean, the Bridgerton kids get understandably competitive, chief of which is Anthony, but he's trying to be a gentleman and impress Edwina. Is this yours? No, no. You're welcome to. You near threatened to beat me the last time I touched that. You exaggerate. (laughs) Are you the superstitious sort? I know some men cannot perform without their familiar tools, like a child with a blanket. (laughs) Things get really, like, heated in, like, maybe a sexy way, and then not. At the end, Edwina, for some reason... Just exits the game. We don't really... Well, her her ball goes out into the woods, and I think she's like, I don't want to get my dress dirty, so I'm just not going to walk out there. There was such a moment there, you know? Yeah, it, lo- it didn't look that far. But then we do see Anthony and Kate go after their balls that have gone into the woods, and I'm like, okay, I would agree with Edwina. <laughs> like, I don't care that much about this game to get everything dirty, so. Kate came to play. She came to win. Oh, yeah. She came to win. She didn't come to play. She came to win. She really is Anthony's match as far as, like, competitiveness, wit, and, like, I mean, obviously, like, there's, like, this hatred also underneath it, but there's also, like, this admiration that's starting to grow between each other because Kate dives right into the pile of mud and she's, like, happily gets in there, gets her ball out, and... Anthony has to do the same and then they fall down together in the mud and they're just covered and they look at each other and there's a moment. They laugh. They laugh they together. They laugh together. It's just like it happens on a dime, but like he's like, they have a fun moment together and he's like, why do you hate me? Tell me frankly, what must I do to win your approval? I do not withhold it out of spite, my lord. I simply wish to steer my sister to the greatest possible happiness. I would have thought you could understand my position, seeing as you, too, have sisters to protect. That is different. It is my duty as their guardian. I am the same for Edwina in every way that matters. Then let us put our past acrimony behind us. And allow me to prove I can offer your sister all the happiness and security you seek. Could you... Could you do me that favor? To diffuse that tension, she hits her ball over... It hits a bench. Anthony gets really upset. And we later learn that that is basically where his father's grave is. And he doesn't visit much. It's not really his thing. So the fun is kind of over for the day. We see more and more flashbacks of life at the Bridgerton household after Edmund died. And it's really sad because Violet... You know, you and I were talking about this. It's very much like the Hunger Games where, like, Katniss is so protective of her sister because after her father died, the mom just checked out. Yeah. Like, Violet checked out. Yeah. And she's giving birth to Hyacinth, who is breached. And the doctor says the worst thing to Anthony. He's like, my lord, which one would you rather save? And Violet is understandably upset and is like, I don't ask him. He was this. I was doing this to him, like, just 19 years ago. And, you know, Anthony's confused, he's upset, and he's like, whatever she wants. And the doctor's like, okay, I'll try and save them both. Which is the worst doctor ever. Good to know that that was an option the whole time. He didn't even, like, like, he was really trying to force Anthony and be like, let's go out into the hall, let's talk separately from your mother because you are the Viscount, you make the decision. 
he can't make that decision for his mother. He doesn't know which anything. Which I'm, I'm glad he didn't. Like, it could have been a really bad moment for him if he yeah. was like, wh- whichever decision, like, it would have been a bad decision for him. So I'm glad he at least defaulted to his mother. Yeah. No one was great. And then the doctor's like, oh, I'll save them both. It's fine. <laughs> I know this conversation is meant to look particularly despicable because yes. it's like a son making a decision for his mother. Yeah. But I feel like that conversation shouldn't have happened at all. Like, yes. I just feel like the mom... She's got a life and she's got a lot of kids to hang, but take I mean, care of. I think of. it's obviously clearly showing like where, like how the hierarchy works within yeah. the society and with titles. He is the Viscount. He is head of household. He oversees her in a way, which is like so odd. It happens with like the, the crown, right? Like the queen, she's like above her mother. She you know? outranks even, I remember that first episode or that first season of the crown. Yeah. When, like, her father dies and she's been named the queen, her grandmother kneels before yeah. her. It's like now she's over everyone because of just the way these rules work. Yeah. In the same way, Anthony, he hasn't fully stepped into, like, or understands the responsibility. Yeah. And I think through these big questions being thrown at him, he's like, the weight of it is starting to hit him, but he can't deal with it. Well, and it's also, like, I, I feel like it's easy to say, you know, because he's, like, so... He has, he has a lot of privilege, and it's easy to yes. look at that and be like, what do you have to do all day? Like, you get to sleep with whoever you want, talk to whoever you want, do, you get to do whatever you want. Right. And that's half true. I mean, there are a lot of other privileges he has that, like, none of his siblings will, will ever know. Right. But it also comes with responsibility, like... Does your mother live or does she die if we have to choose between her and the baby? And, like, like he, his siblings don't know that. Like, yeah. his siblings are never going to know the pressure that he actually felt going through all of this. Yeah. Benedict can go off and do his art thing and Colin can go to Greece and he has to be there. He has to take care of his whole family. Yeah. I openly hated him last season because he was doing such a bad job, but I do feel like these flashbacks are letting us know why it it also really explains a lot of that why he's trying to make decisions that everyone else is going for like he kind of has never had the time to discover what he's good at or what his talents are or what's even like a little thing that could make him happy and so he's sort of just been trying to like go with what everyone else is doing because that's it's the easiest it is in arm's reach and that's kind of all he's been capable of for the last 10 years you know he's still juggling it all to that point just to wrap up the Bridgertons like as far as going with what everyone expects of him and what everyone wants they are now at this dinner at the home at at Aubrey Hall it's suggested that Anthony should make a speech and this is exactly what everyone expects because now people expect him to propose he has his mother's betrothal ring like this is the moment that he's supposed to propose to edwina edwina is looking up at him expectantly like also waiting for the moment to happen and he's like a toast to edwina don't tell anyone you know about palomel and that sort of thing and such a huge disappointment Poor Edwina feels like she did something wrong. Well, because everyone knew. He was like, I've got a question for you. Yeah, those expectations are now catching up to him of like, what everyone thought he should do and now what he actually wants to do. Which then like, he later has a conversation with Kate because like, I think she had a moment of relief when he didn't propose and maybe she thinks, okay, now he won't. But he still makes his attentions known of like, no, that's still going to happen. I just, I didn't do it last night, but like, don't worry. And they're in the same spot where a bee stung his father and a bee is like, you know, just hovering around Kate and he starts to go into a panic. It stings her. The bee does sting Kate 
And it's almost like Anthony's going to pass out because he's like breathing heavily. He's like, oh no, I can't believe this trauma is going to happen to me again. He's having a panic attack. Yeah. Like a really, he's like, are you all right? Can you breathe? <gasps> and she's like, are you okay? You know, she keeps reassuring him like, I'm fine. I'm fine. She grabs his hand, puts it to her heart. And like he puts, she puts her hand to his heart and she's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And like their breathing kind of sinks together and they're like looking at each other. They're very close they actually almost kiss and then like a horse neighs or something. They break up and they run in opposite directions. Flee. Like Penelope seeing the modiste. Like yes, that's how far they, they turn and run. run. from each other and they are both like, what just happened? Like they both need a moment to process and be like, oh no. Like these feelings that maybe they were both ignoring are actually happening between the both of them. So that's a very scary moment because obviously Anthony has made his intentions known for Edwina and Kate knows those intentions too. So they cannot give in to that moment and they don't. No. And even like the night before, because Anthony like lays the foundation for asking her to marry him and then doesn't. Yeah. And everyone knows what was supposed to be there. And Edwina is really hard on herself. Mm -hmm. The night before, she's like, I should have, I should have tried to know more about the Bridgertons. Like this, like, she's like, this is my fault. Like, she's like, I wasn't good enough for him. Kate is oiling her hair and she's like, no, you've got options. Like, you're the diamond of this season. Yeah. Like, screw Anthony Bridgerton. I knew this guy would break your heart. She does. She hypes her up. She's like, don't worry about it. Like, just because he wasn't man enough to propose or, you know, fulfill what we all thought he was going to do. Yeah. Doesn't mean you're done, you know? And so I think that was like a nice sister moment between the two of them. Well, and it's because like, she's thinking of that moment when she is like catching herself because she was like, this is the guy he is for her. Very like Angelica Elizabeth Schuyler moment where she's like, he is meant for her. And I almost ran away with my feelings. You know, I almost let this come between me and my sister, the person I love more in the whole entire universe. You know, like this, her whole life has been leading to this moment. Getting a proposal from a Viscount is like the best case scenario. And the fact that she could ruin it for her sister. No way. Like she's, she's, Trying to, like, stay as removed as possible. I was on the edge of my seat that whole scene. I know. I gotta say. Back in London, we're with the Featheringtons. Prudence is still doing a terrible job of trying to catch their cousins. I liked that they had that conversation because I feel like in a lot of Regency literature, we get this, like, yeah, like, we married my cousin and, like, we're just, we in the present day are, like, okay, like, that's just what they did back then. But I like that we have this moment of, like, ew, like, you want us to, like, marry our cousin? And her mom's like, he's your fourth cousin and it's the, look at the royals. It's regal. She has to, like, point to the monarchy and be like, they think it's a good (laughs) idea. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for you. It's not. So they, she just utterly fails there. Yes. Lady Featherington is trying to teach her daughter how to catch his eye and, you know, with a fan and trying to go to the Moody's and, like, lowering her dress even more so she could catch their attention, but... All these little things don't really matter, and so they don't really add up because, as Prudence keeps saying, Cousin Jack is already, you know, been taken with Cressida, and 
is inviting her over more often. So he is not looking at his cousin. He is looking at Cressida. And so all these efforts that Lady Featherington is going to, I don't think will really amount to much. I I feel like the real deal that is being done in this episode is between Penelope and the Modiste. Because when they're at the Modiste trying to dramatically lower Prudence's neckline. <laughs> Penelope has a moment alone with the Modis, and she's like, I don't know what you thought when you saw me on that part of town, but, you know, I was just there. Well, it, just the other day, I ripped my bodice, and I had to borrow a dress from my maid to return home. I believe you might have seen me. I do not recall. Are you often in that part of town? Seems. It is rather far from the fashionable side, is it not? Perhaps I might ask you the same thing. But I will not, because I happen to believe a lady's business is her own. Would you not agree? And that's where Penelope should have been like, great, done with this conversation. But she keeps it going and she's like, okay, but cool. But just in case you thought you saw what you saw and all this other stuff. And she's like, okay, now you're drawing more. Now you're being weird. (laughs) Now you're being weird. But what's great is there's that dinner where Cressida is over and she's like, I got this dress from the new modiste, which is way better than the old modiste. So Lady Whistledown writes an article badmouthing Cressida's dress and the new modiste saying like the old modiste is really like she's an expert. She knows what she's doing. And did she use the word old? Yeah, she did. Yeah. She approaches the modiste at the end of the episode being like, hey, I think you know who I really am. My operation is growing to be more of an identity issue. Like someone could discover me who is not as discreet as you are. You've seen what I can do for your business. I think that we could help each other out. Eloise accused the modiste in the last season of being Lady Whistledown. She really thought it was her. It was a really good guess because she is someone who sees everything. She hears all the gossip she didn't necessarily need to go to all the events to hear what's going on in the town. So it was a good guess. Wasn't right. But now it's funny that Penelope could partner up with the modiste. And she really compliments her too, because she's like, you are a woman in this world who is making it on your own. You're a successful businesswoman. I'm trying to do the same thing, but I'm a little limited to what I can do. Maybe we partner together and... Great things can happen. And I think it could be a really interesting partnership because Penelope only hears what goes on at balls and dinners and soirees. Think about how much crap people are going to say about each other and about like everything and also just treat the modiste as somebody who's invisible. She's also like wallflower-esque in that people rely on her discretion i guess i'm curious if it's gonna become like a if that kind of situation where i i thought the partnership was gonna be more of like the modiste will now deliver like the the letters to the printer and that's how she'll kind of get away with it but maybe if it's now she's using her as like another source for gossip and adding to her newsletters while still trying to balance, you know, the criticism she got from Eloise, which is like balance the criticism with the gossip. So now you're also critiquing society, but also reporting on what's going on. So maybe now this, there's going to be a longer pamphlet or what's going on. But well, I like the idea. Well, I like that you and I both had different interpretations of what yes. Penelope was offering because they very open ended. She's just like, you've seen how I can help you. I think we can help each other. And then the Modiste doesn't even give an answer. Like we just cut to the 
Cut to Aubrey Hall. We don't know what she's proposing exactly. I think, I mean, I think the fact that like Eloise really thought because of what the Modiste can hear and think of, think of the other things the Modiste knows. I mean, she kind of like knew that Marina was pregnant before the wedding because she's like, Oh, you were just in here like two weeks ago and your dress doesn't fit. Like she knows what's up. She's like, not an innocent lady. Yeah. So she hears, I think, the good stuff. Yeah. And um, I hope that's where it goes, but we're going to have to keep watching to find out. You mentioned Marina, which is actually a good note here because Colin does ask about Marina. And it's like, dude, she's married. <laughs> she's moved on. With a child. Yes. And he's still holding on to like thoughts of her and like hope for her or like at least wanting to know how she is that's not something that's going to be possible but you kind of clearly see like even though he spent all this time away at greece and trying to find himself a journal and all these things he's still holding on to marina are you ladies not always writing letters i would have thought your travels banished miss thompson lady crane rather from your mind completely funny how distance is no match for memory is it not He's swearing off women. He's trying to work on himself. And he's he's the only, actually Benedict kind of, but like he's the only Bridgerton boy who's like really working on himself. He was True. like, what happened last year can't happen again. Yeah. And I'm going to find out what Colin Bridgerton wants. Yeah. Who is he? You know? <laughs> and so he's doing his thing and he's finding his way. And I, you know, we hope the best for him. We've covered everything, but the last thing that we do see is that is between um, Anthony and Kate almost kiss and kind of run away from each other. So that's where we leave things. The next thing I would assume is we're going to see more people joining them at Aubrey Hall. And the thing is, Edwina and most of the time, I'm sure, are expecting to join with them being engaged. So that's the expectation. That's what should be the next thing we see is Anthony proposing to Edwina. Will he? Especially after that heated moment with Kate? We will see. I'll just say this, I don't know, but it is expected of him. Yes. And Anthony is a world champ (laughs) at doing what is expected of him. That's true. So we'll see. Stay tuned for next week when we're going to see where all of this goes. In the meantime, you can see what we're up to by following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Pemberley. If you have comments, questions, concerns, or you just want to like say hi to us, you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. (laughs) 